we've got a new segment, Learning Things with This Film is Lit. And we're previewing Stand By Me. It's the prequel to the 20th episode of This Film is Lit. Hello and welcome back to the 20th prequel to the 20th episode of This Film is Lit. Already 20. Wow. It's pretty amazing. I wasn't expecting to get that. I'm not... not <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's happened a lot quicker. I feel like we haven't been doing it that long. It's only That's been true. well, we started in eight like July, months, seven months, eight yeah. months, almost. Yeah, yeah, it was like the very end of July or the first week of yeah. August or something like that. So, so we have a new segment uh, for the prequel episodes. Doesn't really have a name yet, but I, it's, it's going to be kind of called "Learning Things" with this film <laughs> or something, <laughs> something like that. So let's get to that because that's our first segment today. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. We're going to start with you, Katie. Okay. You're going to tell us what is the the thing, the phrase, the term, the whatever that we're learning today. Hold on real quick before you do that. The thing I was talking about last week, we're going to do a separate episode where we sort of do a, a bunch of terms for certain or give our definition and explain what we mean by a bunch of things uh, some of which we discussed at the end of last episode. We're going to do that as a whole separate episode, but a recurring prequel episode thing now is going to be taking a term or a uh, technique or a whatever that applies, something that applies to our coming work of film slash literature and sort of breaking it down from both sides and talking a little bit about it uh, to kind of add a little more educational knowledge to our prequel episodes and a little more interest um, instead of just sort of the movie trivia, basic kind of stuff we do before. So we're going to do that. Uh, and this first movie, since it's a slash book, it's Stand By Me. Katie, what are we doing? We are talking about the term coming of age story. Yes, we are. So tell me about coming of age stories in literature, Katie. <laughs> so a coming of age story is a genre of literature and also a film that focuses on the growth of a protagonist from youth into adulthood. So in other words, these are stories that feature someone making the mental leap from childhood into being a grown-up. Mm-hmm. On the literature side of things, uh, coming-of-age stories tend to emphasize dialogue or internal monologue over action. Typically, they are often set in the past and often feature elements of the narrator reminiscing, although neither of those things are really a requirement per se. Um, They're just a convention of the Mm -hmm. genre. Um, Subjects of coming of age stories are typically teenagers. There is um, there's the delayed coming of age story, which is a kind of modern subversion of this genre. It's funny. I have a note reference to that for one of my <laughs> one of my uh, other examples in the medium of television slash film. I wrote that. I didn't know that was a thing. I just kind of wrote it as a note. Literally called it delayed coming of age story. Yeah, but I didn't even know if that was a term or if it is. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's like I said, it's it's a modern subversion. It's something that we're seeing more and more of recently. Well, let's we'll see. It'll be. I'll be interested <laughs> to see if you agree with my my example of that. 
I probably will. Well, I mean, yeah, I know you will. Um, and that subversion typically features protagonists who are mentally younger than their age. And when I say mentally younger, I'm talking about maturity-wise. Maturity-wise, not like Not actually, people who are differently uh, able. Yes, yeah. um, but maturity-wise, and it, it is something that's more common in film and television, I think. Mm-hmm. I couldn't come up with a really good, oh, solid... Oh, I have a perfect one. Li- ...literature? Oh, sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, I sorry, I could think sorry, of plenty sorry. of movies. Yeah, yeah, okay. I th- sorry, <laughs> I thought you... Yeah. I couldn't come up with a really solid um, literature example, though. I'm sure I could if I thought about it yeah, long enough. that's interesting. I don't but... know. But yeah, so normally, getting back to your point, normally teenagers. Right, normally teenagers. Um, sometimes kids, but usually the teens. So this is a genre that evolved from folklore, um, from tales of a dunce. Or the youngest child in the family, more commonly, going out into the world to seek their fortune. It's kind of how it got its start. Um, This is usually applied to fiction from a book standpoint, although it has been applied to some memoirs, like Kerouac's The Dharma Bums. Um, Stuff like that can qualify as a coming-of-age story, Pretty typically, it's liter- it's um, fiction, though. Yeah. So there are a couple sub-genres of the coming-of-age story okay. in literature. Um, bear with me, because I'm about to mangle some words with Germanic roots. <laughs> to me, when you sent me these notes, they didn't look like Germanic roots. They just looked like German words, but I could be wrong about that. Um, I'm pretty sure they're Germanic roots. They okay. they look Germanic. Well, like I said, they just looked like German yeah. to me. I don't think. Like, <laughs> I mean, um, so the first one is one that a lot of people will probably recognize. Uh, Buildings Roman. You never heard that one? Nope. Okay, maybe I just think people will recognize it because I have two English degrees. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like I heard that one in high school. I if if I did, it's it has since left my brain. Um, but it's possible. Um, Buildings Roman is often used interchangeably with coming of age story, which okay. isn't inaccurate. Um, Buildings Roman is a little bit more specific. It's the coming of age of a sensitive person who goes out specifically in search of answers to questions that he or she has about life um, with the expectation that finding those answers will result in gaining some kind of experience or maturity, right? You'll gain some kind of boon as a result of seeking those answers. Okay. So the goal is maturity. Mm -hmm. Um, And this particular type of story usually features some kind of conflict between the main character and society. Okay. So cool. it's it's they're used interchangeably, and like I said, it's not wrong, but a building's Roman is a little bit more specific. Catcher in a Rye, is that? Yeah, I uh, would, yeah. I've never read it, but that's what I, the vibe I get from mm. what I little I know of it, but I could be wrong. Skip it. Uh, no, yeah, I know, I just meant from the, because I thought him, the conflict was a lot with sort of society. And yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's society and himself, but right. that's a whole other. That's a whole other That's a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> Another bag of Salinger. Yeah. So then, um, coming off of that, are I'm not even sure how to begin pronouncing this word. Entwicklungsroman. Okay. 
which is a story of general growth rather than self-cultivation. Okay. So they're not seeking oh, okay. any they're kind like, of growth. To, yeah. yeah, they're not um, setting out to grow, to grow, right, with the mission. Yeah. yeah, it just happens. Um, general growth. Then we have Erzihung's Roman. Okay. Which focuses specifically on, like, training or schooling. Oh, okay. So, like Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry yeah. Potter could be a good example of that. Um, schooling is definitely one of one of the main focuses. Yeah, yeah, maybe not that. the best yeah. example of that, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a part of it for mm-hmm. sure. And then we have Kunstel Roman. I think. What is the last? Uh, uh, this, so the second half of these words. How is that spelled? The Roman part. Is it just Roman, like R O M A N? Um, it's related to, I believe, the Latin. I would or imagine maybe it's Latin. A Latin root for um, a book or okay. a story. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So, Kun, or maybe it's Kunstel Roman. That sounds I don't know. more German. Yeah. Kunstel Roman, that sounds more right. Um, and that is specifically about the development of an artist. Like personal growth through an art so, of some sort. Right. The portrait of an artist is a young man. Probably not. I don't remember. I just said that because it seems like a coming of age tale and it, it has artists in the It is a coming of age tale, but I actually don't remember if he's actually an artist. And yeah, I don't not. either. I. I it's think been a long I've, time. Yeah, I protected myself by blocking that book from memory. I read it like junior year of high school. I don't remember. Good lord, the sheep. The sheep. Yes, the sheep. <laughs> All right, sorry. I didn't mean to derail that. Um, so yeah, art, right. Coming of age through art. Uh, yeah, for, coming uh, of age through um, an art of some sort. Okay. Painting, writing, Yeah. what have you. I think probably one of the more common ones might be uh, like actors, musicians. Yeah. Would be a... Very com- like because mm-hmm. uh, to some extent, uh, like La La Land might be considered that they're both artists, and it's not it's not really coming of age tale. They're older, so nah, never mind. Well, we could consider me. it a delayed coming of age. Yeah, story. but they're not particularly stunted in any way, other than <laughs> yeah, other than the fact that they're artists. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice, baby. I know. <laughs> So I do have some other examples of literary coming-of-age stories. Mm-hmm. A couple of them we mentioned, um, but I tried to jot a few down that our listeners might recognize or maybe were forced to read in school. More likely, yeah. <laughs> um, so we mentioned Catcher in the Rye, mm-hmm. um, To Kill a Mockingbird, yes. coming-of-age story, The Outsiders. So, so To Kill a Mockingbird is interesting because it's been a long time since I read it, but isn't a lot of the time not spent with Scout? I I know that it's her, is is the, or is that not who the coming of age would be? No, it's about Scout. Yeah, I mean, she narrates it. Okay, I guess it's been a long time. I just maybe I'm just remembering the movie and feeling like they spend a lot more time. The trial, if I remember correctly, if I'm remembering just, correctly, the trial is a, a larger part of the movie than it is of the book. And maybe I'm thinking like I remember it more as like a, it's like a, <laughs> a, 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 a whatever that's called a. a a court procedural than I do like a <laughs> yeah but yeah yeah I, yeah definitely okay the outsiders yes yeah um 
You had to read that in school, right? No, I have not read The Outsiders. Seriously? No, I, I thought I think everybody had, had to read that in school. I think we've school. had this discussion before. I have not, for some reason, that was I was always in weird English classes, and I ended up getting I ended up reading weird, like for, for some reason, like the the advanced English classes at my high school and middle school never read like the normal. No, ours like didn't standards, either. and I was always yeah. in the advanced class, and we always read slightly. Like we would usually read something by the same author. As like the, you know, the big yeah. tentpole, but we would read a different one. We always, um, we got to read the more difficult I guess stuff. maybe that's what it was. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, w- I was in advanced English classes too, yeah. spoiler alert. I mean, I figured you were. I um, just... <laughs> like, so the, the quote unquote normal English classes yeah. read The Great Gatsby right. our sophomore year. Guess what we got to read? The Grapes of Motherfucking Wrath. See, I've read both of those. I read both of those in high See, school. and I didn't read Gatsby until college huh. because I didn't have to read it in high school. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, that, that's that's the only thing I can remember. I have that vague memory of remember of, of the idea that the the regular or quote unquote regular classes reading more of the like things yeah. I always heard everybody read, and we yeah. read a lot of different things. I don't know. No, we um I read The Outsiders in middle school, oh, okay. and we didn't have like an advanced. Yeah, I don't um, normal separation. There, there's also a chance I did read it and have just completely forgotten. <laughs> so, anyways, sorry. Continue. Um, the house on Mango Street, which I have not read, no, but I know that now it's it's more or less a staple of English classrooms. A lot of people read it. Okay. Um, Ender's Game. Yes. That coming makes sense. of age. Yeah. Uh, Cider House Rules. Harry Potter. We mentioned. Yes. Um, Anne of Green Gables. Yes. Much like Harry Potter's spread out over several books. It's basically her whole teenagehood. Yeah. I think they just released a TV show version of it. Yeah, Netflix just Netflix did. did. Or, I don't I don't know how well it was I received. Out, I haven't yeah. read Anne of Green Gables since I was a kid. Yeah. It looked like a boring show, I'm being honest. <laughs> It looked to me, and I heard a lot of people complaining about this, it looked like they took some uh, creative liberties oh, with it. I'm sure they did, so. yeah. A lot of people were unhappy in the uh, social media circles that okay. I tend to run on. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last thing I have on my ri- on my list is uh, nearly everything written by Judy Bloom. Yes, that is going to count as a coming of age story. Yep, makes sense. That makes sense. Did you read any Judy Bloom? I did not read any Judy I Bloom. I was going to say you probably didn't. No. Nope. Uh, I have some. That you didn't mention that maybe for more uh, male-centric listeners, not, a lot of those are classics that are relevant. Mm. But like in terms of like comparison to Judy Bloom type thing, uh, uh, most of Gary Larson's books. If you've ever read any Gary Larson, particularly, I'm thinking of Hatchet, is, mm-hmm. is somewhat of a coming-of-age tale of him. He's a he's a teenager, right? And it's struggling against nature and being self reliant and that sort of thing. Yeah, totally. So uh, Hatchet and the subsequent books in that series, which I was always a big fan of. Um, he has another one called the Transall Saga, which is a really interesting book, which is 100 percent a coming of age tale. Uh, and similarly, My Side of the Mountain mm-hmm. is a very similar thing, although that's a little more leans towards like a survival. I mean, they, they all of those clearly are, but. I don't know something. It, that one doesn't have as much character development. I don't feel like, but it's been a long time since I've read it, so I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that was just a couple I was thinking. Of. Um. All right. So film wise, it's not very different, obviously, because the themes, the conventions are obviously 
similar, if not yeah. exactly the same. But there are some slight uh, additions and, and or not additions, but uh, subtle differences in in what I'll talk about here uh, before I get to my uh, other examples. And I have eventually, when we get to Stand by Me, I have a couple scenes from the film with some film techniques that you can look for. If you're rewatching it for our episode, uh, that sort of highlights some of the themes of uh, coming of age tales. So we'll we'll get to that later, but um, explicitly. So uh, this, uh, these are all taken and this is, I'm not quoting exactly, but I pulled a lot of this, a lot of this information from AS film studies, the essential introduction, which was published in 2008. So there, that's where it came from. Not way to cite your sources. I know I'm citing my sources. (laughs) Um, so it's subgenre, obviously, uh, uh, and they categorize it in the in this uh, particular textbook as a subgenre of the teen movie. Makes sense. It's also sort of a subgenre of just drama. Mm-hmm. I mean, even more widely than that. Uh, and so I, I've, I, I kind of saw the comparison literature wise to its you know most coming of age tales, although not most, but a lot of them are uh, young adult novel or what we would probably classify as young adult. Yeah, since it is for the target audience being a somebody in that teen early teen age range um but obviously certain of them aren't uh so conventions of coming of age films uh as you said a period of transition from childhood to adulthood and the way they classify it specifically is when when it's characterized by the need to make decisions about the future things to do with your family friends education work sexuality Hmm. adult things it's that time when you finally need to start making decisions about those things the worst and i thought this is maybe slightly different from the book and a particular as a particular film convention is that a lot of times coming of age tales in film take place over a shortened time period right over a brief time period a lot of times a summer and that makes sense or even a weekend or a vacation or something like that because like a book you've got the space to show right years yeah if if you you want want to um and it but it makes a lot of sense for a movie to boil it down to like a pivotal moment a pivotal moment like and and and, you know obviously like in like like the summer before you start college or the summer before high school or Right, almost, almost like an initiation, right? Yes. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, so that's one of the conventions of uh, coming-of-age uh, movies. Um, uh, I think you made you made reference to this, but uh, in the films, they tend to rely on dialogue and emotion rather than physical action. Mm-hmm. They're generally speaking, coming-of-age tales aren't action flicks. I mean, they right. can be, yeah. I, and I have, a, I have one that I think fits in that category, but um, generally, they're much more focused on the emotion, the interaction. Uh, character growth, uh, character interactions, that sort of thing. One of my observations that a lot of times, and and I think it's probably, it's been, we haven't rewatched Stand By Me yet, so from my memory, I think this fits for this movie, is that uh, those emotions will often boil into like a singular physical action mm-hmm. or something. So there's not like an action movie, but there's usually some sort of physical physical something that occurs, whether it be a fight Mm-hmm. Or a physical physical altercation, or sex, or something, in sort of a physical interaction. Uh, that's sort of the boiling point over of the emotions and that sort of thing. The actual age can vary of the main character or the uh, central character, but it tends to be mid-teen, mm-hmm. teen in that range. And this is similar, like you said, but the movie terms would be: it's often told in flashback. By the central character who is usually now older and mm-hmm. wiser in telling, which is 
obviously what if you have seen Stand by Me or if you haven't, that is how Stand by Me yeah. is told. Yeah, uh, it is uh, bookended. It was told in a flashback. And and this was an interesting one. I didn't hadn't really thought about this, but the, their last convention is that the central character is usually male, which I, I mean, guess traditionally maybe. But even then, I'm not exactly sure because traditionally being rooted more in folklore and fairy tale, that's not necessarily always not fairy tale. Well, like no, folklore, it's but. it's not necessarily always true. I mean, if you if we gathered together every example. Yeah. Of a coming of age story, yeah. probably, probably most of them would be would favor yeah would male. favor would favor boys. Um, but there are plenty of yeah. I mean, I had several in my list yeah. that were prominent female coming yeah. of age stories, yeah. and I think it's even more so now. It's becoming yeah, that's definitely something that's starting trending. to become more common. More yeah, away from just telling men's stories. Um, or boys' stories in this instance. <laughs> so, some other film examples. Uh, most recently, our last episode, Love, Simon. Yeah. Very clearly a coming-of-age tale. Boyhood, which I have not seen. Mm-hmm. But that was actually as a coming-of-age tale that was actually famously filmed over the course of like 12 years as a kid grew up. I don't know if you knew that's what... I did know that. I've never seen it. Yeah. It sounds like boring. it was terribly expensive to make. It wasn't cheap. But, uh, yeah, so it, obviously, yeah, Boyhood, Moonlight, uh, which won the Oscar. No, didn't win. No, it it? did. Did. Yeah. Yeah, Well, there was the big confusion and now I got confused about. (laughs) We're all still confused. Yeah. So Moonlight, which won the Oscar, which I haven't seen and been meaning to a million times. Uh, movie we just saw not too long ago, uh, both really enjoyed. We were going to review it, just didn't get around to it for some reason. Lady Bird Mm -hmm. would obviously be a very classic coming of age tale. Another Stephen King film, which he's. Not not Ladybird, but this next one, <laughs> which he has his fair share of coming of age tales. Yes, uh, it obviously um, the Harry Potter series because they're also films. A mm-hmm. uh, Mama Tambien, which is a, an Alfonso Cuaron Cuaron uh, movie, and it's funny because it's the one he directed before Prisoner of Azkaban, which is probably the most coming of agey of mm-hmm. the Harry yeah. Potter movies. Yeah. Uh, don't. Have your kids watch Etu Mama Tambien, though. <laughs> Unless you're a real progressive parent, because there's a lot of sex in it. <laughs> like, a lot. It's basically about a road trip uh, where two teenagers take a road trip with, like, a, a late 20s woman, and oh. they just all have sex together the whole time. I haven't seen it. Uh, I have it in my Netflix. It's on Netflix, but I just haven't gotten around to watch. It's supposed to be amazing. <laughs> American Graffiti, uh, which is one of George mm-hmm. Lucas's earlier films, uh, starring Han Solo. Uh, <laughs> the Breakfast Club, obviously, yeah, pretty much anything. John Hughes, y- yeah, pretty much. Uh, and this is one where I thought it, it's a genre film because it's an action film, and it's a comic book film. But I think it's actually also a coming of age tale, and that's Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh, I would definitely yeah. categorize that as coming of age. For yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. So, and now he maybe that well, you could also would argue it's uh, fits into the delayed coming of age because he's yeah. not a teenager. Yeah, he is older. He's isn't older. He? He's out of high school, mm-hmm. and they're giving him shit for dating high schoolers. And it very much, it's one of the big main themes is his immaturity mm-hmm. is part of the thing he has to come to terms with. And a movie coming out soon, which I'm very excited for because it's directed by my favorite comedian, Eighth Grade, which the trailers are out for right now, and that. Oh yeah, that does almost look assuredly really good. is going to yeah. be a coming of age tale. Uh, check that out. It's a f- uh, film directed by, written and directed by Bo Burnham, who's 
not it, one of, is my favorite stand-up comedian. And it's his first uh, directorial debut uh, for a film. And it's won, like, a bunch of awards at Sundance and is, like, mm-hmm. universe, has 100% of Rotten Tomatoes right now. I think it comes out in May or June or something like that. So a few TV shows. The Wonder Years. There's a million TV shows. Yeah. The Wonder Years. Degrassi. Happy Days. Boy Meets World. Daria. Freaks and Geeks. Glee. Stranger Things. Everything Sucks. Uh Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I mean, basically anything set in high school yeah, is set probably going to fall into this category. Buffy, uh, Big Mouth, which is a, mm-hmm. a cartoon on Netflix, and then my de- uh, The End of the Fucking World, which we talked about, and then my delayed coming-of-age story for TV would be Unbreak- Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Because, yeah, yeah. by the very nature of the, the premise of the show of her being locked in a mm-hmm. bunker for her adolescence, yeah. and then... It's her kind of, yeah, coming of age uh, in her late 20s, probably mid-late 20s. So, yeah, those are all my other examples. If you are looking for other coming of age tales or wondering what could that possibly mean, watch any of those. plenty of them out there. There's a million of them. (laughs) So, let's move along and talk specifically about The Body slash Stand By Me. Must have started walking on the train tracks and just followed them the whole way. Yeah. Yeah, right. And then after dark, train must have come along and... I'll smack Yeah. Hey. Hey, you guys. I bet you anything that if we find him, we'll get our pictures in the paper. Yeah, yeah, we can even be on TV. Sure. We'll be heroes. Yeah. All right, so Katie, tell me about The Body. All right. The Body by Stephen King is one of four novellas in the collection Different Seasons. Okay. Um, each novella in the collection represents a different season that of makes the sense. year. This would, um, I would imagine this would be summer. Actually, this this is fall. Okay, I think that might be accurate. I think it is fall in the movie. But it's section heading. Um, like if you flip through the book, yeah. as you go from one novella to the other, it has like a section page with a different title on it. And its section heading is Fall from Innocence. Ooh, boy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Good one, Stephen King. <laughs> Good one. And actually, the same collection has another of his novellas that was later made into a film, uh, Rita Hayworth and The Shawshank Redemption. Oh. Yeah. Which one is that? That's Oh, The Season? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's fine. I think it was... Summer? Summer, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe it was spring. I don't remember. And was it titled <laughs> Spring from this Prison? <laughs> I hope so. Stephen King's got a joke. That's what they should have called it. all the jokes. The winter one was a, uh, a sexual awakening story called Winter My Womb. <laughs> Or something. Winter winter me my body. I don't know. Please. Sorry. the body includes references to other Stephen King works. Um he's hmm. apparently self referential in this one. I haven't finished reading it. I also haven't read a lot of other Stephen King, yeah. so I'm probably not gonna pick up on the references. No, I imagine. Um but that includes Cujo, Salem's Lot. Pet Cemetery and Carrie. Oh, okay. References to all of those. I wonder if they're in the movie. I'd have to look. I don't know. I don't know. Guess we can keep an eye out. Yeah, I could probably look on the trivia and see. 
Um, as a collection, the book Different Seasons got pretty tepid reviews. <laughs> uh, the New York Times said it was flawed and out of balance, but that shouldn't deter anyone with a taste for interesting popular fiction. Okay. I, <laughs> I feel like it would. I feel like that description would deter. <laughs> but sure. And Kirkus Reviews said there was clear evidence that King needs the supernatural to distract from his awesome limitations as a mainstream storyteller. Wow. Got him. That is not nice. (laughs) That is not nice. That's not a nice thing to say about Stephen King. (laughs) Um, However, I will say that reviewers generally seemed to like the body. Yeah, Um, that's, yeah. Although New York Times did say that the narrator was pretentious. There you go. So. I have heard that I believe uh, Shawshank Redemption is famously one of the better, uh, or or one of the more um, commonly regarded films as being far superior to the, Hmm. I I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure most people are like, yeah, the movie's like infinitely better than the the short novella is, Mm -hmm. but anyways. Well, we're going to do it eventually. Yeah, we'll get so there. We'll, we'll and you've never there. seen it, right? No. Oh, boy. Okay. But I'm going to read the book. <laughs> oh, yeah, so you'll know. So I'll know something. Well, it's not, but it's not a, It's not about, like, the twists and turns necessarily. Okay. I mean, a little All bit, right. but it's more so just about the performances and the... Okay, fair and enough. And Morgan Freeman's voice. But. All right, so the last thing I want to talk about is something interesting that I found out while I was looking up... Uh, this is a real weird story. Is it? It. Oh no, not the body. Oh, oh the okay. story. Well, maybe it is. I haven't finished it. Um, but the story that I'm about to um, relay bequeath onto okay. you. So, in 2009, uh, Lisa Ro- Rogak um, published an unauthorized biography of Stephen King. Okay. In which. She relayed the story um, that he had plagiarized the idea for the body from one of his friends at the time, George McLeod. Hmm. McLeod? I'm going to say McLeod. McLeod? McLeod? I don't, I don't know. I'm just guessing. <laughs> can't see it. So, <laughs> so supposedly, allegedly... When King was still a struggling writer, he asked his friend and his roommate at the time, George, what he was working on. And George told Stephen that he was working on a story based on a true event from his own childhood when he and some friends went looking for the body of a dead dog on some railway tracks. So he never finished his story, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) allegedly... He went to see Stand By Me and recognized his ideas. Well, there you go. On the movie screen. So he actually sued Stephen King. Huh. Um, and like I requested a portion of royalties from both The Body and Stand By Me, to which King refused. Yeah. Um, and Stephen King like disputes this idea. Completely, like hmm. 100% disputes the idea that he stole it from them. Yeah. Um, obviously, their friendship was ended. Yeah. 
Yeah, lawsuits will tend to do yeah. that. Um, I don't know. I couldn't find what happened with the lawsuit. I assume it was a failure. Um, I, I assume if it was successful, I would have been able to find more about it. But, like, this was a really weird one. I I had to dig around to find stuff about this once well, yeah. I saw, like, the first mention of it. Maybe there's a chance to, like, settle out of, like... Yeah, settle, maybe they settled it. They settled it or something. I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know. It cost them, like, $100,000 or something. <laughs> if anybody care. else knows, I would like to know about That's it. That's interesting. Um, but now here is the really interesting thing. So after I found this out, I picked up the edition of Different Seasons that I'd gotten from the library. And the edition that I have is from 1982, which is when the book was published. So I assumed this is first run. Yeah. And I looked, and the body is dedicated to George McLeod. It is? Yes, it is. Well- <laughs> And All right. now, I don't have another edition of this book, but I would be really interested to know if that dedication appears in subsequent editions. It also seems somewhat damning that, right? <laughs> that maybe he potentially got this idea from this guy. Uh, huh. That's fascinating. I'm sure there's got to be more info on this out there somewhere. There has to be, but I just couldn't find it. Okay. Well, we'll do some more digging, see if I can come up with anything. Yeah, see if I can find anything else before the uh, the The actual episode. episode, Huh, Yeah, He he dedicated it to him. Yeah, that seems like... (laughs) What? Yeah. Seems very clearly like... I mean, I get they were friends. There could have been other reasons, but still seems a little strange. (laughs) Seems a little coincidental that... All right, so that was all I oh, have. Okay, cool. That uh, interesting little tidbit there. Cool, right you, on. For everyone to chew on. Yeah. Well, let's get in to a little bit of preview of the film, Stand By Me. All right, so before we get into a couple of little background fun facts, I'm going to talk about the things. felt like it made more sense to do it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to talk about the things that uh, people should, you can look for if you're going to watch Stand By Me. You haven't watched it recently. You want to rewatch it before we break it down on next week's episode. Here are a couple of things, uh, uh, moments in the film that I was able to kind of click around and and find some scenes and and find ways where I think they really certain filmmaking techniques are used very successfully in capturing some of the themes of a coming of age tale. Mm-hmm. Here are two scenes. Uh, one of them is a little spoilery, but. Kind of. I mean, it's you get they find they're looking for a body. So at some point, right. you assume they might find it. So first <laughs> scene though is very early in the film, from what I remember. Uh, and Will Wheaton's character is talking about uh, how his brother died mm-hmm. uh, last summer in a car accident or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the scene in particular is he's he's it's a voiceover. Uh, it's uh, Richard Dreyfus talking about this, and Will Wheaton is in his house. And what 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 he's explaining is how to, how his parents have never gotten over the fact, have not emotionally moved on or gotten over or dealt with the fact that their older son died, uh, and he he makes it very clear that like he was like their preferred son, and it's very clear in the movie that at least the father mm-hmm. uh, uh, much preferred the older brother, the older 
one of his two sons, Richard Dreyfus is explaining that yeah, his parents never dealt with this loss. And in the way the shot is framed in this particular moment is Will Wheaton is calling out of the window to his parents. And we're looking at his parents now and like doing like chores in the yard. And Will Wheaton is up above them in the framing. Mm-hmm. And then when it's shot, when you see from Will Wheaton's perspective down to his parents, it's shot at a downward angle on them. And now this is all obviously subjective interpretation of what this scene or how of what they were going for. But one of the ways you do, one of the common things you do when you're shooting a scene is you put the characters who are in control of a scene or in control in general mm-hmm. above or power more stronger or more powerful. You put them above looking down weaker, lesser characters in the scene uh, you see this a lot, obviously, in like superhero movies and stuff. Yeah. The bigger, taller characters, you shoot up at them because it's in, it's all you know, awesome and and imposing and that sort of thing. And in my interpretation of the scene and the way they shot it, where we're looking up at him and he's literally framed above his parents, sort of in the in the, in light of the coming of age tale, is that we're seeing this kid who has has dealt emotionally and is having to deal emotionally with. The passing of his brother, but the fact that his parents aren't dealing with it, mm-hmm. and he's actually emotionally superior to them in this regards, that right. he's dealt with it okay. much better than they have. So their growth is stunted. Their growth is stunted. Mm-hmm. Um, and he even makes, I mean, it's not subtle, like the voiceover is literally saying something almost exactly to the sense of like, you know, they haven't really remembered how to function since, mm-hmm. since his brother died. And so... Just look very closely at how it's framed. Uh, it's very distinct. There's a reason he's in the second story window looking out at them and is above them. And then when he, you see the shot from his angle, you're looking down on his parents. He's literally looking down on his parents and their emotional inability to deal with this tragedy. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing that I think kind of is an interesting thing to look at. The other one, and this is, again, none of these are incredibly unique things. But so the moment when they do find the body... Uh, which is obviously like sort of the climax towards right. the climax yeah. of the film. And these are little subtle or not subtle. These are little basic filmmaking things. But as soon as they see it, we get immediately a four we get a close up of each one of the four boys. Mm-hmm. Um and it and the reason they do that is because in that moment every single character gets a close up because we the audience, we want to see how this affects them. This is the whole point. This is what they've been doing. Mm-hmm. It's going to try to find this body. And when you give us that close up of each of them, we get to see how this moment affects each of their, each of these characters in the moment, uh, and it places importance on their reaction to this moment and how they're dealing with it, and thus informs their growth. I guess in the in the sense of finding the body. And again, the voiceover here is not subtle. They're discussing <laughs> things about how he was dead, yeah, and how you know, sort of dealing with mortality. And when you're a kid, you don't think about things like that. And now they're literally look staring death in the face. Mm-hmm. Like so, it's it is incredibly important that in that moment we get a close up of each of them to be able to see how this affects them and to know that this is a, a very important thing. Because close ups, that's kind of what it allows you to do. It allows you to see the emotion on the actor's face. And it places importance on that emotion by being a close-up where it's easy to see and very, you know, in uh, front and center. I just wanted to share sort of uh, little insights like that. Because I know a lot of times when people are watching movies, you don't think about that. The sort of small things like framing or even the fact of why people use close-ups when we use close-ups. 
or even if you think about it, you don't really think about the importance of it necessarily and why in that particular moment we get a close-up and why. Because this is a big thing I probably had a problem with, like, with Wrinkle in Time. I felt like they mm-hmm. didn't know when to use what certain types of shots. And they used too many close-ups because close-ups are terrible for portraying action. And right. when things are happening. <laughs> and, and the scale of the environment and all that sort of stuff. But they're really good for uh, getting across emotion. And, uh, and I think this... That particular scene when they find the body does a really good job of it. And then, obviously, framing can be used in lots of different ways. But the scene with his parents is used in a very particular way to, mm-hmm. to showcase his his emotional growth over their emotional. Right. And stuff. that's important for a coming-of-age story because, as we talked about, it focuses more on emotions. Yes. And that kind of internal yes. change rather than external change. Yep. All right. A few things real quick about the film. And then we'll wrap this up. Uh, like I said, directed by Rob Reiner. The cast is f- fantastic. Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, Jerry O'Connell are the four kids. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland and John Cusack, mm-hmm. both in the film. And then Richard Dreyfuss plays old Will Wheaton. So, is, is Kiefer Sutherland the bully? Yes. Why is he always the bully? Because he's got that kind of face, kind of That's a douchey true. face. It's true. But apparently the idea of focusing on Gordy was Rob Reiner's idea. Okay. Because apparently the book doesn't do that. Uh and the reason he did that was because he identified with Gordy's character because mm-hmm. of Gordy's feelings of being overshadowed by his older brother. Mm-hmm. Rob Reiner had similar. Uh, Rob Reiner's father was a very successful comedian, like hmm. a famous comedian, I think, growing up. Um, I didn't know that. Carl Reiner, I believe is his name. Uh, and so he sort of dealt with those similar feelings of being overshadowed. So he identified with that character and wanted to make him the focus. Will Wheaton has talked about the show or this movie to, to at some length in certain interviews and his, his feelings on why the film worked so well. Turns out Rob Reiner had all four of them. They went and they did a, like improv games in the theater together mm-hmm. to just sort of build camaraderie with one another. Yeah. And yeah. any more importantly, Will said is that Rob Reiner literally just cast the kids who were the characters mm-hmm. like Will Wheaton is an awkward, nerdy, shy kid, which is what his character is, and uncomfortable in his own skin. River Phoenix was like the cool, smart kid, and that's just like what his character <laughs> is. Um, Jerry O'Connell was like the like the clown, like a joker, and that's exactly what his character was. And then Corey Feldman was unbelievably angry and in an incredible oh. amount of pain, <laughs> and oh. had a terrible relationship with his parents. So. Yeah, he said literally they just he just cast the four kids who literally were the exact same as the characters. That's one way to do it with child actors. Yeah. So as to the why they changed the title, they changed the title because producer or Columbia Pictures, who who uh, the studio responsible for the film, thought that the body was misleading, not misleading, but that people audiences wouldn't get it. Yeah. Uh, he said it sounded like either a se- uh, screenwriter, Reynard, Reynold Gideon, one of the screenwriters who worked on it, said it sounded like either a sex film, uh-huh. a bodybuilding film, uh-huh. or another Stephen King horror film. <laughs> and then <laughs> Rob came up, Rob Reiner, came up with Stand By Me, and it ended up being the least unpopular option. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't really love it, but it was their least non-favorite. <laughs> and went with Stand By Me, and it is pulled from... The, the song of the same name, mm-hmm. uh, Stand By Me. So, uh, oh, and and other little fun fact: uh, characters on Stranger Things auditioned for their roles with scenes from Stand By Me. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, 
That makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I'll agree with the title switch. Yeah. That was a, that was a good call. Yeah. And especially Stand By Me with the... I mean, is childhood friendship is like the main theme right. of... I mean, it's like and, the and last line of the movie. Just like picture the movie poster yeah. with the four boys the body. on it, but it says the body. It's yeah. <laughs> no. It wouldn't even make sense. It wouldn't make nearly as much sense. Stand By Me with them on that poster makes... Yeah. It makes sense. So it was it was a good choice, good change, and the movie made a shit ton of money. So. Yeah. Anyways, it was very successful. So stand by me next week. That's the episode. Join us then. <laughs> yeah, join us then. Anything else to add? <laughs> um, yeah, as always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram Reddit, Goodreads. Just search this film is lit on all of those platforms, and you'll probably find us. I think is the easiest way to do it. Yeah, that's probably the easiest way to do it. I think that's the easiest way. If you can do us a favor and send us a review on iTunes or on Stitcher or anywhere you listen to us, that's also greatly appreciated. We're one away from 20, which would be a round number. It doesn't mean anything. It's not any more special than 19 other than there's one more of them. So, if you can do us a favor and do that, that would be awesome. But until next week, keep reading books, keep watching movies, keep being awesome.